The revolution is here. A movement of people free to live, work, and choose. We won't tell you what to think. We just demand that you think for yourself. This is Kibbe on Liberty. Hey, Olivia, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? It's good to finally meet you in person. I know, right? I'm sorry I've been like in and out of the area so frequently, but... Yeah, it took, us a, it took us a while to book yeah. this because <laughs> you're moving to L.A. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just spent like a month there or something? Yeah, actually more like six weeks, I think. Yeah? Yeah. There's, there's pros and cons to it. I think that um, at first I was super, super against moving to L.A. It's for my boyfriend. And I told him, I was like, no way. Like, you're going to come here or we're going to move somewhere completely different. I'm not coming to L.A. or California. And uh, he can't really go anywhere because he is a lawyer, so he's only bar certified in California. And I don't want to make him give that up. And so, you know, I bit the bullet, went over there. And there, some things, like the negative stereotypes about L.A. and California are very true. The crime, very true. Drugs, homelessness, very, very true. I would say that when people say that they've lost all hope for it, that's where they're wrong. I think that there's a group, a large group of very good people there who are more liberty or conservative leaning who are just kind of scared to speak up. And I've met so many of them. I haven't gone to like a single political event out there. I just run into them or, you know, I've been recognized from Fox and they'll be like, wow, I really agree with what you're saying. And I just feel like I can't speak out on it here. Yeah. So I think that there needs to be a cultural shift before any real progress is made. But I wouldn't say that we should lose all hope for it. There used to be this group called Friends of Abe, which was sort of people in the entertainment industry who would gather in secret um, as conservatives and libertarians, but I, I don't think that exists anymore. But mm. but there is sort of a, a culture of fear. It, I remember, I think it was the last time, I haven't gone on Bill Maher forever, but like people would sort of secretly come up to me and say, I like what you're doing. But they, they were afraid that yeah. someone would hear them say that, and it's 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 bizarre to imagine. It happens here, too. It happens here all the time, too. Um, a little bit less so just because, I mean, of course, there's Republicans here because it's D.C., but just people are, again, so scared to say something just because, you know, cancel culture and just, like, the social consequences, um, not necessarily, like, job or social media related, but people will look at you weird if you if you say something that's a little bit, like, you know, right of center. And it's, it's so crazy how the Overton window has shifted because I feel like even myself, my views, which are considered, you know, far right to some people, would be considered moderate or liberal 10, 20 years ago. So... Yeah, it's crazy. Did you see that stick figure cartoon that Elon yeah. Musk? <laughs> and everybody flipped out. People were calling him a fascist. I saw people like redid and like, you know, Photoshop the meme and, and replace the label with fascism and yeah. Nazi and things like that. And I, yeah. It's crazy. I, I think it's, I think it's a real thing. So, so how do you identify politically? Are you, I, I think I've seen you use the word conservatarian. Yeah. And I used to find that word kind of cringy, but then I was like, I really don't know how else to describe it. Cause I've been like libertarian conservative or right wing libertarian. And it's just, both of those are kind of, people don't really get which one I am more of. And I don't even know. So I'm like, you know, somewhere in the middle on some issues, I'm very libertarian and some issues I'm more conservative. Um, my priority at the end of the day is, you know, limited and small government. So I have a lot of friends that are anarchists who would just want me to, you know, go all the way. And, I, you know, I'm just not there. I don't know if I'll ever be there, but I can respect it. I respect uh, what they're saying. And I don't, I don't fear anarchy like a lot of other conservatives might. You know, it's, um, it's kind of interesting because I, there's this war amongst libertarians between conservative libertarians and liberal libertarians and I always thought the point of being a libertarian is just that not not how you live your life but that the government shouldn't decide for you so like you can be a conservative and a libertarian they're not a contradiction yeah I I find the war kind of pointless but then again I find that the conservative libertarians are more involved in like the culture war so not necessarily saying hey we should you know outlaw you know drag queen story hour for children but we're going to criticize it and say that hey this is grooming this is wrong i don't want my elementary school child to be you know preached to by a man in a wig and a dress so and then on the other hand the you know some not all of the more left-leaning libertarians will say well this is transphobic blah 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 blah, and therein lies the kind of disconnect because i don't think that many people are arguing for like the outlaw of any of this like if you follow like libs of tiktok all these like lgbt you know um 
influence, you know, onto children or on TikTok and stuff. I don't think anyone's calling to ban it, or at least, you know, right-leaning libertarians aren't. But the other side may not see a problem with that as I would. Yeah, I mean, to me, the solution is that the government shouldn't be involved in education and so right. that parents could decide right. if and they so, <laughs> want that sort of schooling for their kids. Exactly. And so where I disagree with a lot of Republicans is like, we need to ban this or like, you know, ban CRT, ban this, ban that, ban that. I'm like, I don't know if adding more government control over it is the answer, especially when we're talking about statewide or even like federal bans of critical race theory, which is what a lot of people are, are, are calling for. And when I say I'm not necessarily for that, then I get, oh, you're a critical race theorist or you're promoting CRT, which is not the case. I would simply, you know, promote the idea that we should not be sending our kids to state run schools at all. You know, I mean, there are so many other problems besides the curriculum in, in these state run schools that we're not even really talking about. Yeah. Let, let, let kids and parents opt out if that's what they want to do. It's, it's not like a, to me, that's the moderate solution. Like why not let everybody have what they want? It's crazy because it's racist because <laughs> that's because that's racist because that's white supremacy Every, everything's racist um so what to give me your uh give me your origin story like how did you get into this stuff i started getting really into politics in the 2016 election um and i'll date myself here i was like a sophomore in high school i believe i was like 15. yeah they're laughing <laughs> they're laughing but i felt I felt so alone. So you feel guilty for being young, and I'm, I'm going to date myself. It's just because people are always like, oh, I feel so old because the 2016 election doesn't feel that long ago, but it kind of was, like, you know, it was years ago now. Um, but I started getting into it because I, I, I grew up in the church, first of all, so I had more of a conservative religious upbringing. And then in middle school, I had, like, my re little rebellious phase, went on, like, Tumblr and became kind of like a SJW for, like, two years. And so the 2016 election rolls around. And a lot of the kids at school, and I went to a very rural, very white high school in Maryland, were Trump supporters. And I was on the wrestling team. I was like the only girl on the wrestling team. And I was friends with a bunch of white dudes. And they had never been racist to me or treated me any type of way. But then I'm like, how are you guys Trump supporters? He's racist. Like, and it, it caused a dilemma in me because I'm like, how are these people who have wrestled with me, trained with me, cheer me on, you know, come to my birthday parties and stuff, be racist? And um, like the one other black guy on the team also supported Trump. And I was like, this is crazy. So I go home, I tell my dad, I'm like, all my friends at school are Trump supporters. Like, I don't know what to do. I feel uncomfortable. Like I'm the only black girl here, like blah, 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 blah. And my dad, black man is like, what are you talking about? He's not racist. I'm voting for Trump. And so that was like the eye opening moment. I was like, so many people in my life who I know are not supporting Trump for racist reasons who are my friends are, are saying they're Republican or saying they're MAGA or conservative or whatever. And that led me on a deep dive to do my own research because I didn't really know much about Hillary Clinton. I knew she was secretary of state and that's really all I knew. I know that people were wanting her to be the first woman president and I didn't view that as a bad thing. But once I looked at what she's done, I looked into the Clinton Foundation. I'm like 15, 16 years old. I'm like doing a deep dive into the Clinton Foundation, looking at Benghazi. I'm like, oh my God. You poor child. I like literally, ignorance was so bliss because it's been downhill <laughs> ever since then because I wish I never found out. But ever since then, I was like, I cannot support them. I cannot support the Democrats. They've put this evil woman forward, her evil husband forward. I can't do it. And so from then on, I consider myself like the i was like the black conservative at the school and it was very controversial at the time and i did i did support trump um as my ideology progressed i realized that a lot of the republican talking points while i really oppose the democrat ones weren't all weren't doing it all the way for me like i thought they originally were and i found myself sometimes supporting things that the republicans or trump said at, at this point i'm like 17 18 and not really knowing why I was supporting it only really because they said so and because they were the opposition to what I really really didn't like so I go deeper and I discover libertarians and I was like wow this is great and I'm like ah kind of ineffective though so I, I I don't join the LP but I'm friends with a lot of LP people I'm friends with a lot of GOP people um, I bounce my ideas off of them and I've come to you know conservatarianism and I haven't coined this term I think I saw it on Twitter somewhere and, but I really, I really like it now because it does kind of accurately describe my ideology now is somewhere in between. It's, it's kind of interesting it, your, your story was you had bought into the caricature of, of Trump supporters. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like all, all the anger today is because people um, sort of make up these, these 
false narratives about that tribe and this tribe. And it only ended because I knew Trump supporters in real life and you, I was you related met people. to them and yeah. I was friends with them. It's the people that have so much hatred for Trump supporters or the other side, because I don't hate you know Democrat voters either, or the other side who are just really never met them or liked or loved these people. You know, it's it's so polarized and political these days where people will even refuse to you know relate and talk to these people, which is really sad because it brought me to the light. You know. Yeah. So you somewhere along the way you became an influencer, right? You you you're like on Kennedy all the time now. And you're, you're, you, you have some pretty spicy takes on Twitter, <laughs> um, which I suppose is what an influencer is supposed to do. But I hate like, that word. <laughs> influencer? Yeah, I don't know what else to call it, though. Yeah, but... you, you have opinions. Yeah. Um, so that started because I felt so alone and being you know, that controversial girl in high school. I got kicked out of the Black State Union. There was like 30 black kids in my high school, and I was one of them. And I'm in the Black State Union because I didn't have any black friends. So I was like, let me just join this club. And I got kicked out. Because I didn't align with their values anymore. So I took my... Or, or their politics. I'm politics sorry? or values? Um, it, it kind of went hand in hand. So their values that they exposed were they wanted um, you know, the school to ban things like microaggressions and little itty-bitty forms of racism that I really weren't wasn't offended by. I was like, really? Like... I, I did go to a rural school, but I never really considered it racist. Um, I did end up going to a private school later on that where I experienced true racism at, and that was like populated by rich kids who were probably liberals. So I really had nothing bad to say about those people, um, you know, back in my redneck school. But uh, because I opposed their values and was talking about free speech and capitalism and how, you know, what do you mean the free market is racist? Like, what do you mean? Like, it was just over. They were just done with me. So they kicked me out. So I go to Instagram, I go to Twitter. I originally made it Twitter because I wanted to see Trump tweets because I was seeing screenshots of them on Instagram all the time. And I really wanted to see if they were real because I was like, no way. So I make a Twitter. I start, you know, retweeting Trump. I don't really say that much. This is like 2018. And uh, as time goes on, I start getting more confidence because I was getting so much hate, you know, in real life, lost friends, like, you know, lost high school friendships because of this, that I decided to speak my mind on Twitter. And I, I will be honest and say that at the time, I do think that a lot of people initially followed me because it was like, wow, like young black girl, a Trump supporter, like is, is a little bit of a tokenization thing. And I get that it was a novelty at the time. Not so much anymore. Like there's a lot of black conservatives who are popular and, you know, influencers now and stuff. But at the time, it was definitely like people were following me because they were confused. They were like, how? what how why like asking me for my opinions and i would just explain it out and make these long twitter threads and um you know some of them would go viral and i would get more followers so by the time i was like 17 or 18 i had like 10,000 followers and it just it just grew from there over the last couple of years so um i you know started a youtube page started doing interviews started going on other people's podcasts now i'm on you know fox business and fox news sometimes so um, it just grew and I'm, I'm really grateful for it because I just hope I'm reaching people who are, were in the same position as I was, you know, back in the day, feeling very isolated and alienated because of my views, um, because of whatever demographic and whatever box it didn't fit in. So I'm hoping I speak to a lot of those people now. So you, like you, you tell a story about Twitter that's, that's very con contrary to, to what a lot of people think of Twitter as sort of this tribal cesspool where everyone just tears people apart. But you, you found you found community there. I did get torn apart. I won't lie. I did get torn apart. The first time I posted a picture of me in a MAGA hat in like 2018, <laughs> I got torn up. People were trying to find my address. People were DMing me death threats. Like I got a lot of hate. People were, you know, contacting yeah. my, fr my friends and family. Like it was really serious. Um, but from that, it was like from the ashes became this amazing community of, of other people who I found that are very similar to me or just great followers I have and, you know, making these connections, um, you know, with Kennedy and with like other large shows I've been on and I've been able to kind of, you know, just ignore the hate for the most part. Honestly, a lot of liberals leave me alone now just because they know I'll respond back. Like, I'm not going to take you sending me a death threat like you will face consequences for that but um and you know jujitsu right like come meet like i'll send you my address like come, come meet me come meet me but um yeah it's definitely the the twitter space has definitely improved over the years as i've managed to like 
or as I've grown to like manage the um, the audience and stuff as it's yeah, grown. you just I mean I I don't I probably don't get as much hate as you do, but uh, you just ignore it, right? Yeah, it's hard to sometimes. Sometimes, um, like I'm not gonna act and say like I I'm not a real person and I don't get emotional or whatever. But um, I've learned to just you know take it in stride and you know sometimes I do get valid criticism and I've learned like I'm not the type of person who will refuse to change their opinion because I have I went from like a staunch Trump supporter to now a a, a sometimes a Trump critic you know I'll praise him when he does right and I'll criticize him when he does wrong and in recent in recent times he's done a lot wrong so I will criticize him and I have members of the Trump family that follow me on Twitter and I'll still criticize him because I I take pride in not being you know bots or not just you know shilling ideas that i want people to agree with I, I i do have some controversial takes sometimes so what's um what's your biggest criticism of trump hmm that's 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 a hard question i ha- i have a couple so recently just because of covid i've criticized him a lot by you know fast tracking the vaccine um I don't know if you're going to get demonetized if I say something about it. Oh, but by, by the way, we just, uh, well, go for it. We, we, we had our first uh, YouTube um, strike or just a pull down. Oh, pull. They pulled it down. Okay. Um, uh, do you know who Janine Yonis is? Am I so. saying her name right? Uh, probably not. Eunice. Eunice. Janine Eunice. Um, anyway, she's a civil liberties lawyer, okay. um, former lefty that got so apoplectic about lockdowns and, and what the Democrats were doing to kids and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And we we had a show about the constitutionality of vaccine mandates, and they didn't explain why, but YouTube has pulled this conversation down. So um, let's see what you can do. All right, so I won't say that he fast-tracked an experimental vaccine, and I won't say that he should have never done that, and that it had negative consequences, and that it led to mandates, and it led to Dr. Fauci taking more power than he ever should have had. Um, so there, there's the main one. Just he did, he totally right. platformed Fauci, right? Totally. And totally. Uh, he, it was sort of he was. He cheap. has the worst endorsements, the worst hirings. He doesn't know how to pick good people. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't know who's going to end up being like a snake. You know, he just I don't think he has a great judgment of character. And a lot of people will say, no, well, he was on The Apprentice. He knows how to run businesses. He hires and fires people. A country is very different from a company. Yeah. Um. Or a TV show. Or a TV show, or a TV show. So, yeah, that's that's one of my main gripes with him. Um, I also have the common gripes of a lot of libertarians, like okay, bump stock ban, um, didn't pardon Snowden, didn't pardon Assange, did really nothing on um, cannabis decriminalization or legalization when he talked about it, when people expected him to. I could say the same thing for Biden. He said he was going to expunge everyone's record who was in there for cannabis, and. I don't know what happened to that. So I'm not really giving him any criticism that I wouldn't give any other politician, but I just don't blindly follow him like I, I might have used to when I was, you know, 16, 17. Yeah, sometimes politicians don't tell the truth. Sometimes. We'll, we'll probably get to strike just for saying that. Yeah. So, so we'll see how that goes. Um, so it, it does sound like you, you're you taking sort of a, a similar journey for a lot of people where you, you sort of, join one team and then you're like, wow, that team sort of sucks. So I'm going to join the other team. And then you realize that they're not everything that that we're promised and like skip the teams. I'm with people. I'm with people. So I have Democrats that I'm friends with. I have Democrats that are, I can see eye to eye with on a couple of issues on, on like the war on drugs. I'm like, you make some good points, you know, as someone who's a libertarian leaning, like we agree on that. I agree with a lot of Republicans on a lot of stuff. I agree with a lot of Libertarians on a lot of stuff. So I'm not, I'm really not about parties anymore. I actually never registered with a party, even when I did consider myself more of a Republican or thought I was going to join the LP for a while. Um, I just I can't foresee myself really pledging allegiance to a big group like that when none of none of them really you know fit what I want. Yeah. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk about Elon Musk. Um, and we were talking before we started about there's a hit piece. And let me see if I can pull it up. There was a hit piece in the New York Times. The New York Times is freaking out because Elon Musk has bought Twitter. And um, you know, my my take is that they're freaking out because they presumed that they were the arbiters of truth for the longest time. You know, the paper of record. record mm-hmm. The gray lady, all that, all that bullshit, and now they realize that they don't control the narrative anymore, and 
you know, maybe this is like a billionaire's pissing match where, you know. Oh, it for sure is. Bill did Gates. You see, did you see Jeff Bezos tweet yeah. right after Elon Musk? Yeah, it's like he they're literally just squabbling at this point. So this, um, so Elon Musk, of course, uh, was, I guess he was born in South Africa, mm-hmm. um, grew up in South Africa. So they're, by innuendo, they're trying to ascribe to him the sims of, of white apartheid South Africa. But this, this was the funny thing that I thought, and this is a quote from, from Noah Rothman. He's, he's tweeting this, uh, a quote from this New York Times article. Classmates at two high schools he attended described him as a loner with no close friends. None offered recollection, recollections of things he said or did that revealed his views on the politics of the time. And, and Noah's comment is, beyond failing to support the premise its authors obviously set out to prove, this is how you'd write about a mass shooter. So they're 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 trying to smear the guy, but they they have nothing. They find nothing, and yet they write a big piece about it. Is it is it because their one go to thing is he's a racist? Um, that's what they do for a lot of white guys who are just you know on the right or right of center. I mean, we don't even know what is all of his political views are. We just know that he doesn't follow the left, um, the left's narrative. So yeah, that 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 definitely is part of it. Um, I think that in a sense that they're also. Um, by proxy almost criticizing like a whole group of of white people or white men specifically who may have grown up in like if you if you take America America used to have segregation as well and I think about um, my grandparents on my mom on my mom's side who are white you know um, my grandmother is from England and my grandfather was from Kentucky not a lot of black people in either place grew up in very white towns very white areas um, you know, during a segregated time for my grandfather, who was in America at the time. Um, and I just think, like, does that mean he was racist just because he grew up in a segregated time? It doesn't matter if, you know, his daughter married a black man and had black grandchildren and accepted them with, you know, full open arms and blah, 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 blah. It just matters that he was a white dude growing up in segregation. And then when you actually looked at the article that they wrote about Elon, they basically said he never supported it. He left the country, you know, he he had, he had even had like black friends growing up. He didn't care about apartheid. He wasn't for apartheid. He thought it was dumb. But just because he grew up in that environment, which he couldn't have helped at all as a child, he is a racist by association with that government. And so I think it's part of the attack against, you know, the white man in America, too, that is just like you're guilty by association because you grew up here because you're not from a black area because you grew up in this time period. And it just... It hit me when I thought about my own family, and I was like, "This literally makes no sense." So that, like, the, the, I mean, has the the woke left kind of jumped the shark finally because they're they've done, they did the same thing to Joe Rogan. Um, he was a fascist. He was a racist, and you know, Joe Rogan, as I recall, endorsed Bernie Sanders for president, and, right? And Elon Musk, who you know, a, a big investor, I think, in the ACLU, maybe not anymore, but. Uh, after what they've done to he him. He said he strongly supported Barack Obama on yeah. Twitter. Like, both, neither of them fit into any Republican or MAGA or far-right box. They never have. They probably never will. Because um, Joe Rogan still says things that, you know, piss off the right, and so will Elon Musk in the future. So it really, all that does is alienate the middle, the centrists, the moderates, because a lot of people look to Joe Rogan that are not Republicans, that are not Libertarians, that are not on the right, people who are not even that political. Like, I, I grew up watching Joe Rogan on UFC. I was a big UFC fan as a kid. And then he starts a podcast, and I'm like, sure, okay, like, I'll, I'll take a listen. But, I, you know, it's not from a place of coming to him for, you know, to, to rile up the troops, like, acting like we're, like, all his fans are proud boys or something. Like, it's, it's really, really crazy. And all it does is tell the center that they have to shut up or we're going to call you a white supremacist and dig up the N-word tapes or whatever. Like, yeah. that, was, that was crazy. It seems, it seems like, uh, and this goes back to sort of an Antifa strategy, because you know, they're they're anti-fascists, so they say. Um, but what they really are is is sort of communist. Like the roots of Antifa is explicitly Marxist and communist. And when they call someone a fascist, they're basically saying you're not a communist. So if you're not a communist, you're a fascist. But yeah. it seems like the universe of of true blue woke communists in the U.S. is going to be a small minority when it comes to like politics. Yeah, it's, um, 
again, they're not really doing themselves any favor. They're just, you know, move, shifting the Overton window even more and more and then saying, oh, no, the Overton window didn't shift. You just became a fascist. Like, okay, yeah. all right, I'm a fascist. I've been called a fascist. So how am I a fascist? I don't know. Just because I'm not a communist or, like, guns or promote the free market. Like, I, I, in my, you know, childhood definition growing up and learning about, like, Hitler and the Nazi Party and fascist parties across the or across the world – it's, it seemed authoritarian. It seemed big government, you know, a fist, you know, crushing the people. And when I think of what I want, it, it, it doesn't seem anything like that. When I look at what Antifa does and trashing businesses and trying to get the, you know, the, even like the fist, um, like logo and all the symbolism, it just, it reminds me of fascism. It reminds me of communism, of course, as well. Yeah. Speaking of fascism, the, 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 the reaction to Elon Musk and even before that, like, the, the Biden administration, going back to July of last year, I, I, I went back and read some of this stuff because I'm trying to figure out where on earth this uh, Department of Homeland Security Ministry of Truth thing came from. And, you know, it started with um, the inability of politicians to control the narrative. And because social media liberated all of us to express opinions, it, it, it literally created your voice. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of you. You're 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 public enemy number one because because you get to think for yourself and and you have a you're platformed. You don't have to ask the New York Times or some network TV station for permission. You get to do it for yourselves. And to me, that was like that was the the libertarian opportunity that people get to think for themselves. They get to discover ideas um, that are. Relatively, I would have unfiltered. never heard about libertarianism if it was not for the internet. I would have never heard of it. It was not taught to me in schools. It was not taught to me as, as like a party. Like it was just Democrat or Republican. Like they never mentioned it at all. Like I, I just would have never heard about that ideology. Yeah, and and to me, like I'm trying to look for an upside um, around the fact that that YouTube is banning my videos and and Twitter is deplatforming people that question lockdowns and. And this 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 endless level of of uh, sort of political correctness and censorship, and now the government has weaponized it, um, and I think these things go hand in hand together. But to me, it it sounds like they're freaking out because because truth and ideas and thinking for yourself, these things are winning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's sometimes when I get like a, a strike on my channel or a strike on Twitter, I'm like. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit like, it's almost like a pat on the back from the overlords. I'm like, well, I'm doing something right. At the same time, though, of course, it does piss me off. But I'm hopeful that with Elon buying Twitter, I'm not going to follow any billionaire or anyone blindly. You know, just because Elon says he's for free speech doesn't mean I necessarily trust him. But I am hopeful that there will be changes made. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm in the same boat. Like, everything he's said about what he wants Twitter to be, he wants it to be a public square. He wants it to be a free speech zone. And to me, that that's why Twitter became a thing in the first place. That's why mm-hmm. Facebook was a thing in the first place, because it was it was open-ended. People could say what they wanted. They could, they could talk to whoever they wanted. Um, but it became very restricted, um, maybe because of uh, corporate advertising dollars, maybe because of being browbeat by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, restricting that is a bad business model. And he's, he's saying that I, I want to I liberate it from that bullshit. Um, maybe he's onto something just as a businessman. That's true. That's true. Just because there's so much in the media of people saying, well, Twitter's not free speech. I'm done with Twitter. I'm going to Parler. I'm going to Gab. I'm going to True Social. Like, whatever. It could just be a business plan. Have, have you gone to any of those other platforms? Um, I do have a Parler account. I don't use it. Um, but I don't have any other accounts. Yeah, I'm... I, I have one too, but I, I don't use it either because to me, the whole point of being on Twitter is you get to talk to people who aren't like you. Right. And so, you know, when, every time I logged on, it, it's actually, it was much easier for me to get a post, have like a lot of engagement and go viral on Parler back when I did use it a couple of times because everyone there liked what I was saying. And I was like, eh, it's not as fun. Yeah, not as fun. <laughs> it's not as fun. So you feed on the hate, don't you? Um. A little bit, especially when somebody says something really dumb. Like people will love to make 
assumptions about me, especially when they think I'm a Republican. I'll, I'll say something like, you know, I love the free markets. And somebody will say like, you Republicans and you're, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, seriously, what are you talking about? I'm not a Republican. Why do I have to be a Republican to like capitalism or like the free market? I try to use a free market now because capitalism just has like such a stigma around it. Even though I, I don't like to see word. You don't? Okay. No. I'll say free market. Yeah. But yeah, people will, will love to jump on me and make assumptions. And I love to, you know, respond and like drag them a little bit. But yeah, yeah. capitalism, uh, first of all, I, it was it was Marx's way of caricaturizing. Right. Right. I, I have recently learned that the within market. the last few months or so. Um, so I'm trying to get away from that. You know, the, mar- the market, it's, I mean, all of this stuff has some baggage, but you're really talking about just people being free to cooperate and figure stuff out right it's it's the way of nature in the natural world it it is it is trade for goods and services you don't get anything for free you're not owed anything for free whether it's people's you know labor services products whatever and so when people talk about oh it's a human right it's a human right healthcare is a human right i will respond back seeking out your own health care having you know paying for your own health care um you know seeking out whatever doctor or service or special type of weird therapy you want is all within your right. Nobody should ever throw you in jail or, or stand in your way from going to the doctor's office or, you know, from seeking out whatever type of health care you want. But you are not entitled to other people's labor or ideas or services or products or medication for free. And we could talk about, you know, different ways to lower the cost of pharmaceuticals. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a simp for big pharma. People always take that the wrong way where I'm like, oh, yeah, like a, a doctor's visit should definitely cost you $50,000. Not what I'm saying at all. But the human right argument really falls short of, of what they're really implying when they say that healthcare and education and all these things should be free. It's it's kind of funny to think about because if healthcare is a right, that means that you have a right to conscript a doctor or a nurse or a health practitioner or, or an educator for that matter. I'm like, that, that sounds not cool to me. It sounds like slavery. A, a little bit does sound like slavery. And then when people say, well, oh, well, we'll get the government to pay for it. Nobody ever even explains what that means. Like, it's the same people who will say, well, oh, 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 the metro is run down. The buses are broken. The streets have potholes in them. The education sucks. My kids, my kids' school lunch is trash. Oh, but the government, they'll pay for really good health care this time. They're going to use our money well. Like, what is the logic in that? It's everyone has these same complaints about government run institutions. They just don't realize it's because they're government run. Right. So the the the, the logic of of government getting involved in misinformation and it started with Jen Saki. Is that how you're saying her name? Saki. I guess. <laughs> um, Biden's spokesperson last July um, sort of. Brow, was browbeating specifically Facebook, I think, um, saying there's been too much misinformation mm-hmm. about COVID. And, and Biden, a couple days later, comes out and, and says, because he's Biden and he's perhaps not as cogent as he should be, um, that Facebook was literally killing people because of COVID information, misinformation. Oh. And it's like right after that, it seems like the the COVID misinformation campaigns on social media ramped up yeah. dramatically because it, it's sort of like the, you know, um, the mob making you an offer you can't refuse. The government's saying, if you don't fix this problem, we will fix it for you. It's insane how they were so open about the White House going to Facebook and saying all this and nobody was really up in arms about it. People welcomed and embraced the idea that the government should have a say in what information is posted online. I'm, you know, for a group of people that constantly calls everybody else Russian assets and Soviet spies and all this kind of stuff, they're acting like the freaking KGB. They're, they're acting like posting quote unquote misinformation should get you canceled, should get your profile shut down. And it won't just end at your Facebook profile. It'll go to PayPal. You know, it'll go to Uber. You won't be able to function in society if you post misinformation. Yeah. And that's, that's the Chinese social credit system. It's, yeah. And, you know, they've built this infrastructure. But fast forward to, uh, um, I, have, I have to read this because I screw up his name, but in March of this year, the Surgeon General, who knew the Surgeon General had this kind of power, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, announced a huge campaign against health misinformation, demanding from social media companies 
that they share the data of people that are that are spreading misinformation. And and the irony of this is because by the time he announces this campaign, almost all of the claims, and I won't say them explicitly so that we don't get a strike, but all of the government's claims about, uh, not all of them, but uh, some of their most um, outrageous claims about vaccination and lockdowns and, and all the things that are misinformation um, had by that point been acknowledged even in mainstream media, corporate media, that that it wasn't true anyway. Yeah. And yet they're, they're marching forward. They're like zombies. They're just like, we're going to keep enforcing this. They don't want to admit they're wrong. And they know that if they admit they're wrong, they'll lose their power or at least lose the power, a lot of the power they've gained during the pandemic. And I saw this meme. It was really funny, but it was like the difference between a right wing conspiracy theory and reality is about six months. And it's it's been so true. It's been so true the last two years. Everything I, I won't repeat it, but everything that the Facebook boomer memes were saying basically became true this year. And it's just it's like a full circle moment. But I'll get banned if I say it. So, yeah. Even though it's true. Well, we we can bleep out every other word. But <laughs> here's here's one of his tweets. His tweets. Um, well, see, we got to edit that out anyway. <laughs> they they love to leave. They love to leave everything I fuck up on the show <laughs> because they think it's funny. Definitely um, teats him. Yeah, teats. Um, over the last two years, health misinformation has led people to to decline COVID nineteen vaccines, reject public health measures, and use unproven treatments. We know health misinfo has been harmful to individuals and communities, and we know it can spread far and wide with ease. So he's calling on the American people to sort of snitch on this thing. And the most interesting thing about that that sentence is reject public health measures. I can't pronounce anymore, but he's, he's saying that call out anybody that questioned the Biden administration's policies. That's what he's saying, so which, which gets to the... The, the root of what they're doing here. They don't like the fact that they're getting killed in the polls because of lockdowns, because of vaccine mandates, because of forcing people to get fired because they refused their policies. So instead of acknowledging they got it wrong, they're like, we're going to shut up our critics. That, that sounds like something other than America. They want to shut up the critics and they want to blame their, you know, what's creating their bad poll numbers is low jobs, inflation, all this stuff. And they want to blame it on, you know, these so-called conspiracy theorists, Republicans who may not have been inoculated, who are, they're causing the deaths and causing the spread of COVID, even though now it's proven that it's pretty much inevitable. People are going to get it either way, um, you know, regardless of something on their face or not. Um and so they're they're blaming all these people and say, oh, it's not our, it's not our fault that gas is seven dollars in LA. It's literally seven dollars and five cents when I was there last time. Wow. Um, it, it's not, it's not our fault that there's no jobs. It's not it's not our fault that Amazon and Walmart have replaced basically every single business because we shut down everything. We shut down all the brick and mortar stores basically during the pandemic. It's not our fault. It's the people who listen to these evil Facebook misinformation posts and are spreading COVID around maliciously. And then the polarization gets farther and then the Overton window shifts and then it's just a mess. So I, w I was asking you if you'd ever seen the, the movie Burn After Reading, the, the apparently unfamous Coen Brothers movie, which is really sort of a, a dark comedy about the inherent stupidity of the deep state. And, and fast forward past the Surgeon General and go to the head of Homeland Security has, has created this, you know, we're calling it the, um, um, what are we calling it? Board? We're calling it the Ministry of Truth, but it's the Disinformation Governance Board. That sounds even scarier. And like, I don't know why we're calling it the Ministry of Truth when the real name is scarier. Yeah, yeah like every word in that is, is scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so he announces this a couple weeks ago um, at, a, at a House hearing, and Republicans on the Homeland Security Committee rightly start asking questions like, so... What is this thing going to do? Mm -hmm. And and there was very little information, but they they appointed uh, Nina Jenkowitz to to be the minister of of truth at the Ministry of Truth, and um, um, 
people started Googling her name and it turns out she has a TikTok account and and loves to, to sing like Mary Poppins I don't know ditties. what it is about the left because I feel like it's... Uh, uh, Excuse me, I don't mean to offend anyone, but it's like all these like liberal white women over the course of like last two years who have make all these like really bad parody songs and expect them to go like everyone's gonna love this, like everyone's gonna love this, and they sing like a really off key, high pitched song about you know Trump supporters being evil or about like abortion or whatever, and then and then they get crapped on and then they blame the patriarchy. I'm like, mm, you just don't sing very well. It's not very entertaining. So the head of Homeland Security. Um, Alejandro Mayorkas was asked, did you know that she had a TikTok account? And he, this is head of Homeland Security who is preparing to monitor the national conversation (laughs) for disinformation. He said, I had no idea. This this is right out of this movie that I'm citing. I I have to watch it now. I have to watch it because it sounds entertaining. But yeah, that said, um, I don't like him for a couple other reasons, mainly because I don't know how your feelings of are on the border, but I think he, no matter what you um, your stances on immigration are, uh, he's completely ignoring a humanitarian crisis at the border. I do think he should be removed for that reason. But <laughs> just the fact that he they they've picked this woman and they don't even know that she's on this you know making like parody videos on on TikTok is just funny. And then and then they went on to ask him, did you know that that she was a strong advocate? of the view that Hunter Biden's laptop story was a hoax, a Russian misinformation mm-hmm. campaign. He said, I didn't know that. So he's, they're hitting him like, dude, you could Google this stuff and see what she's doing. So she's like a, she, she is a partisan apparatchik who has been put in charge of determining what is true and false at the Department of Homeland Security. This is an agency, yeah, by, by the way, thanks Republicans for creating this agency. It was it was pretty obvious at the time that it would be weaponized against Americans. Um, it has been for years with with mass surveillance, but here we are with this this absurd situation where um, the government partisans in the Biden administration are going to decide what we're allowed to say. And um, and, and and we're the fascists. We're we're the fascists, and also. Um, uh, I saw this funny observation on Twitter from Reed Coverdale, who does the Naturalist Capitalist podcast, and he said, well, you know, in four years or whenever, when Republicans are back in office, are they going to disband the Ministry of Truth? Probably not. Probably not. They're going to say, we can do it better. We can decide what's the truth better. And not to be one of those people like, well, both sides are equally bad. I just think that at the the federal level, you know, in DHS and all these three-letter agencies, pretty much the same. Yeah, Reed's Reed's been on the show, and I saw that tweet, and and tragically, I, I think he's right. Um, Republicans have been really awful about rolling anything back. They've actually been pretty awful about creating their own mm-hmm. monsters in the federal government. But but what do you do about that? You, you, you said earlier, like, you thought about joining a libertarian party, but they fight with each other too much. Like, how do we get... How it's do we even, how do we get out not, of this thing? Yeah, it's it's that, but it's not even just that. There are some policies that I just wholeheartedly like don't agree with. Um, you know, I am more conservative on issues such as like immigration and abortion. I know we're not going to go in depth into that, but there you know there are just some things on the LP you know platform that I I just plainly don't agree with. But yeah, the way the party is being run, sometimes I also take issue with and some of it is is not due to their own fault some of it is due to external suppression you know people don't want the libertarian party to succeed they don't want them on the debate stage so i get it um and a lot of my friends are libertarians and i'm good friends with spike cohen so i i I respect them you know wholeheartedly i just i don't know if playing into and trying to get into the system that badly if, if if that's the right way to go, and I'm not saying I, I do know the right way to go, um, I'm 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 the type of person that doesn't want to put all my eggs in one basket, which is part of the reason why I, I haven't registered with a party yet. So, um, uh, the, you know, there's some you know post libertarians, as I say, who say, well, I'm a libertarian, but I'm only going to vote Republican because they're the only ones that have a chance of winning. I don't agree with that. I think that um I would vote for an individual libertarian candidate if I saw that you know they had it, you know, um, not even necessarily a chance of winning. Cause I also believe in like sending a message with my vote as well. Cause I've sat out of, you know, voting in, in certain elections and stuff as well. So, um, I think that my overall strategy just to, I guess, send the message or to infiltrate, it's going to have to be developed over time. But 
I, I see myself, you know, making building coalitions with Republicans, with Libertarians, um, um, and and trying to kind of not really play into the system as much as like sticking to a party and, and sticking with this caucus and stuff because that's what that's what got us here. That's what got us here, and I, I don't play politics like that. So my, my own view on politics, having tried to do like real politics for too much of my career, is that Ron Paul sort of taught me that, that politics is, is a fantastic cultural soapbox. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually have a conversation with the American people maybe once every four years, um, particularly if they're, if they're looking at the system and saying, I, I hate all these choices, like really I gotta choose that guy or that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a way to, to turn people onto ideas. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of sympathetic with, with that idea, but I generally think we need to get upstream of politics and, and get into the culture and just like turn people onto values. And if we do that, if we, if we sort of get people to start at least wanting to think for themselves, that, that would be a revolution in itself. I agree. And I think that um, goes along with my ideas of you know limited government because I, I would prefer politics and government to be like very localized like at a, at a very local level and I think that would be the best bet in making a real change you know some of these you know local municipalities and, and townships and stuff you know aren't as corrupted as the federal government I think it'd be much easier to build coalitions and you know help out your community first rather than to run for Congress or to run for Senate or to run for president and you're suddenly thrust into this whole machine where it's it's just not going to work out for you even if you have all the right ideas even if you have the good heart you're not corrupt it's just not going to do much you know and I, and I kind of realized that when when Trump was in office because there was a lot of things that he said he was going to do there was a lot of things that I thought he was going to do and that maybe he really wanted to do but couldn't I think that he probably um, wanted to pardon Assange. I, I do I do think that he wanted to, and I think that somebody threatened him and he wasn't able to. Um, that's not to say that I don't think he was, like, cowardly for not doing it either way, but I think that sometimes the resistance is futile if you're already in the belly of the beast. So I think that taking an outside approach, um, going to localities, and like you said, trying to change people's values and speaking to the hearts and minds of people instead of trying to, you know, raise the most money and appeal to this lobby group and appeal to this big donor, you know, you're going to lose, I think you're going to lose the message doing all that. Yeah, like I, the, the parts, it, it seemed like Trump really wanted to get out of Afghanistan and the deep state mm-hmm. wouldn't let him do it. And they, they sort of dragged their feet and, and, and perhaps they were doing the same thing to Biden, which is why they botched the exit so poorly. But he, I, I can't give him a pass on, on Assange or or Snowden or Ross Ulbricht, he, he could have done it. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure they had, they, they were threatening him or scaring him or something. I don't know why. I think that's what happened, but yeah, I, I, I think he should have done it anyways. Yeah, that's, that was his whole thing. He, he, he ran on, you know, being the man of the people, not playing into the party politics, being an outsider. And, you know, sometimes we did see a, a, glimpse, a glimpse of light, like he was being that person, but not nearly enough and not nearly as we were, you know, led to believe and uh, as we hoped for. So do you think that there is a, there's a whole generation of young people like yourself who have, you know, I, I say red-pilled, and I don't mean that in a partisan way. I mean um, in, a, in, a, in a matrix way where you're like, oh, I, I see the system is, is rigged and I see that that insiders kind of game it against us do you think there's a whole generation that's being pushed out of of the tribes because of this stuff i would not say it's a generation i unfortunately like i i'm a member of gen z and i don't see that a lot with my peers (laughs) and i find it hard to even have a lot of friends who are my own age like most of my friends are like you know 5 10 15 years older than me just because you know, millennials and some younger Gen X, they're the ones that have kind of been told they're like a white supremacist or a fascist or whatever. Nobody's really telling that to Gen Z yet. Maybe in a couple of years when they're all, you know, not everyone's in voting age yet too as well. Um, so maybe in a couple of years, but I will say that social media, which is like, that's Gen Z's thing, TikTok, Instagram, TikTok especially, people really underestimate if you're not on those apps people really underestimate the power of indoctrination and messaging um 
I, I do have TikTok, I don't really use it, but sometimes I'll go in there and scroll and just see lie after lie after lie after lie. And if you weren't on any other platforms, if you weren't, you know, reading um, websites or watching the news or reading books or and taking things from different sources, and if you're just a kid who's not really that interested in politics, you're just interested in, you know, posting fun TikToks with your friends, but you're seeing lie after lie after lie, you're just going to believe it because you're not going to, you're not going to go off the beaten path and go try to find your own source and go try to verify that fact. So I think that to really get Gen Z on board, it would take a an enormous effort to um, to combat those lies. So I've seen a lot of um, you know conservative or libertarian influencers going on TikTok and making their own pages and trying to combat that. And I, I I really I'm like kind of a boomer when it comes to TikTok. I don't really get the algorithm. I don't know how to make videos on there. I don't have posts on there yet. But um, I commend them and they're doing a good job. But it's really not enough yet to combat all that misinformation that's coming from the left side of things. So just save Gen Z. I think it'll take a lot. I think it's possible, but right now when I, when I see like my fellow peers, um, I'm a college dropout by the way, but when I was in college, um, and I would look around and see people who were open communists, like it used to not be cool to be a communist. Like people would look at you weird. People would look at you like you're a treasonous anti-American traitor. And now we, I, ha I see kids walking around with like a hammer and sickle pinned to their backpack. And I'm just like, wow, we have, we have changed a lot. And this is the first generation to really be open communists, open Marxist, you know, um, joining BLM and like looting stores. It's, you know, it's all like, you know, twenties, you know, late teenagers and stuff like that. And I'm just like, what is happening? It'll take a lot to, to reverse that trajectory. Wow, that's a depressing way to end this conversation. It, it is. I'm sorry, but I, I always try to I always try to drill that into people's heads because people are like, "Oh, Gen Z is going to be more conservative than millennials." No, we're not. No, we're not. And it's really, really sad. And I wish more people thought like me, or you know, thinking uh, at least like not necessarily like myself, but just out of that box out of that box that they try to get us in with the social media and you know the white house knows how powerful tiktok is because they've enlisted tiktok influencers to 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 talk about ukraine to talk about covid to talk about vaccines like they're paying influencers to utilize tiktok and the right has just said tiktok is a chinese app i'm not going on there it is it is a chinese app but everybody else is on there so you got to counter it somehow okay so you got to get on there I know I have to learn how to use it. <laughs> oh, okay, boomer. <laughs> right. Um, so where where do people find you? I'm at Twitter at Rondo Olivia. That's R O N D E A U L I V I A. YouTube Olivia Rondo and Instagram Rondo Olivia. And you can always watch me on Fox Business. Usually on there every week, every other week, and I, I post updates on when I'm going on there. Cool. Let's do this the next time you're back from the left coast. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed that show, make sure that you like and subscribe. Click the little bell so that you get notifications. And if you consume this via podcast, go wherever you want to go. We're everywhere. Kibbe on Liberty. The revolution starts now.